Well, we're in a series, as you know, called Passages. And as I get into my passage for this morning, I, uh, I need to do a couple of things. First of all, I need to uh, tell you a story. And then a little bit later, I need to uh, give you a disclaimer. So first of all, uh, some of the story. When I, when I sent out the instructions to those who are preaching uh, this summer at Atridge in this series called Passages, I, I simply asked everybody who is preaching to, to share from their heart about what uh, a passage of Scripture, a text that has been instrumental in this last year, uh, something that connects to your own personal transformation story, something that God has been speaking and encouraging uh, you in uh, something current uh, and just where uh, it is connected to your transformation uh, throughout this course of this year. And so uh, Spencer started us off a couple of weeks ago, then Maureen, and then last week Steve Berg, if you were here from our uh, Canadian conference, have, have each done that. So as I, I take you to my passage that I want to share, uh, which is Genesis chapter 26, and I encourage you to turn there. We'll look at that in just a minute. But first of all, I need to tell you a story. And the story of how this passage uh, came to be what it has come to be for me. Uh, It was at the end of January just this last year, January 2018. And uh, it was an event called the Saskatoon uh, Prayer Summit. And it was going to happen up at Christopher Lake, a four-day prayer retreat for the pastors of our city. And this was an event that had been planning for many years, uh, quite a number of years, because there's been uh, two other of these uh, Saskatoon Prayer Summits over the course of the last 25 years, but the, pr- the previous one had been over 10 years earlier, and the one before that was even longer than a decade before that. So there's a long gap. Uh, these events, a number of pastors and leaders in our city who've been around for a long time have pointed to them and say, those are some of the really key events where God has used them to bring unity to our churches in our city. And we've had many people, especially pastors who come to our city from other places, and they've commented and, and remarked on, boy, there's some interesting unity, some unique unity amongst the churches in Saskatoon. And we don't take that for granted, but these events that have only happened a few times have been some of the things that have been attributed uh, to that. And so it's a chance for Saskatoon pastors and ministry leaders to gather for prayer, worship, fellowship, and, and simply to seek the face of God for four days. Four days. So when I first became aware of this event, I, uh, I remember I put it on my calendar because it was like a year and a half out because, like I said, it was planned a, a while. And I, and I knew I needed to commit to it early. I needed to lock it in and just kind of decide right at the front end, I'm going, regardless of what's happening, because I knew, knew that I would find all kinds of reasons not to attend. Uh, who has four days at the beginning of a new year uh, to just go to a northern lake to pray? I had all kinds of uh, everyday ongoing Forest Grove community church pressures and expectations and things that you have to do and get ready for. I had uh, my involvement with the Canadian Conference as moderator of the executive board. I had meetings that were actually the very next week in Abbotsford and a full number of days, and I had so much to get ready for that. Um, and so I had lots of good reasons not to go, which was why I needed to put it on my calendar early, and I knew that. Besides that, we were to travel there together in vans or buses so that we could bond and also so that nobody could leave early by having your own car. Now, this is not inviting for an introvert who struggles in prayer, okay? More like a bad dream. So it gave me actually great empathy for you folks when I ask you to do things that make you uncomfortable. But I went. 
with a good attitude. I did it out of obedience and conviction that God was asking me to grow in my personal prayer life and also to grow in my leadership in prayer. And so, like I said, I, I committed, put it on my calendar, even started to invite others. And, uh, and then I started thinking, maybe it'll be canceled. Maybe the weather will be bad. Maybe the vehicles will break down. Maybe something will go sideways and I, I won't actually have to go. Well, the vans worked fine, unfortunately. Uh, and it was only minus 30, which was quite normal for a January in northern Saskatchewan, so that wasn't the big deal. So I arrived at the camp. I moved into a room with another pastor who I didn't really know, who was more of an introvert than me and wanted to be there even less than me. His lead pastor had sent him because he couldn't make it. <laughs> and so as a group, we got together and we ate together, we prayed together, we worshiped together, and it was mostly really good. It really was. But it was during those days that I was asking God, and I was, I was praying, and I was saying, God, I just really need a fresh word from your Spirit. I need something uh, from you. I need you to reveal yourself in a unique way. I'm here anyways. I'm spending this time, and I was just really crying out to God to just really show himself. Um, and, and I've prayed that many times in my life where I've gone through seasons where God seems really silent and I've cried out to God and just, God, I need something fresh from you. I need you to reveal yourself in new ways. And, and sometimes God does in surprising ways and, and sometimes the silence just continues. But it was on the morning of the third day of this retreat, I was reading scripture and I was praying before the session and I was uh, reflecting on the next week uh, in terms of the meetings that I was going to be at in Abbotsford and I was going to be leading the executive board meetings of the Canadian Conference. And in that setting, we had been using the imagery of big rocks. Uh, and we had been talking about that as we had uh, all kinds of issues that we were trying to solve. We were working on a whole bunch of restructuring, massive restructuring within the Canadian Conference. And, and so we had settled on this metaphor of big rocks. And if you know uh, Stephen Covey's work, he talks about, you know, you put the big rocks in first, and then you, you put the smaller ones in the sand, and you can just sort of get more stuff, I guess, in there. It's more efficient, whatever. But, but these big rock metaphors was what we had been using and, and kind of talking about in the Canadian conference uh, setting. Uh, and we had identified about eight big rocks that we were working on and that were pretty significant. And so that morning, on the third day of the retreat, I was praying about these big rocks facing us in the next week. And, and what struck me is I had this really clear sense that the metaphor needed to change. I don't know exactly how that came to be. I don't remember exactly how God showed that to me or revealed that to me. But I just came to this really clear conclusion that the metaphor of the big rocks was done. Big rocks are obstacles. They're hard. They're cold. They're inanimate. They're dead. Uh, if they're big enough, they're immovable. And it just was this sense that God was saying that this metaphor was done and we needed a new image and a new metaphor. So I started to think and pray and ask God, okay, what's that new metaphor? What, what's the picture? What's the image that might be a, a new way to think about things going forward? And what came to my mind and kept going through my mind was the image of wells and the image of a well and, and water and, and so on and so forth. And again, similar in that way, I don't remember exactly how this image came to me. My mind just started going there and I started to think about wells in ancient times kind of Old Testament wells and ancient cultures. 
not wells that we think about today. Today we think about wells, uh, some people on their farms, they have wells for an individual family or so on. But in ancient cultures, a well was a place for community to gather. It was a, a place, obviously, of life, of water, of refreshing, of renewal, um, necessary for sustaining uh, people and also for, for livestock. Also the fact that, that a healthy well will continue to refill. Almost like no matter how much water you draw out of it, the, the well just will naturally refill. If it's a healthy well, it'll replenish itself and refresh itself. And I thought, that's a really good metaphor. I like that metaphor. Wells. Now I just needed to proof text it, as all good pastors do from time to time. And I remember thinking, okay, where's that Old Testament text? There's that Old Testament verse somewhere that talks about Abraham's wells and how they were filled up with dirt and how they need to redig these wells and dig new wells. And I, and I couldn't remember offhand where that text was and where that scripture passage was. And then the group session was about to start that morning. And I was out of time and I remember thinking, oh, I'll, I'll get to it later. I'll, I'll look it up later. I don't have time uh, right now, so I'll, I'll find that text later. So I go into the session. There's two facilitators who were leading uh, our prayer retreat, Eric Stolte. Some of you would know him. Uh, he had been a leader of navigators here in Saskatoon for many years and involved in the previous uh, prayer summits he was leading. And then he had uh, brought with him and invited another woman from, she was from the Portland, uh, Oregon area, and was quite involved in prayer summits and had a lot of experience in that. And so the two of them had been leading this, our days uh, together in a very non-structured kind of way. And it was her, she was the one who started out this morning and, and she began by saying how she had been up early in the morning in prayer and God had led her to a very, in a very specific way to how we are to begin that morning. And she said that her sense from God was that we were all to individually spend about an hour in a certain passage of scripture reflecting on its meaning for us and uh, she gave us some instructions about that, and, and guess what that chapter was? It was Genesis chapter 26. And I remember sitting there going, Genesis 26, what's that about? I don't remember what that's about. I didn't really pay much attention. And then she started to talk about rocks and wells from Genesis chapter 26. And she asked us in our time to identify both the altars in our lives, the rocks, as well as the wells, both personally and community, and the places where God had met us and renewed us. Well, as you can imagine, this got my attention. I'm like, okay, Lord, really? This is happening. Is this for real? Like, are you actually doing this, God? Now, first of all, thank you. I don't have to look up the text now. You've just given it to me. Uh, but secondly, I felt like this was just such a word of affirmation of God answering prayer and saying, Bruce, I'm with you. I'm speaking. Listen. Pay attention. And so... I spent, needless to say, I spent that next hour in Genesis chapter 26 with ears open, heart open, and going, okay, God, what are you speaking to me? This is, it was a really, I just remember it was a really powerful moment and morning. And thinking about it for not just our Canadian conference, but also for our church as Forest Grove Community Church, and then also even for myself personally, uh, and thinking about what God was teaching me through Genesis 26. So, I want you to turn to Genesis 26. That's the backstory to how I come to this text, which I think is important for you to understand. So if you look at Genesis 26, and I'm mainly going to look at just some of the verses right in the middle of it that most uh, directly relate. But it's, uh, the context is, is that Abraham has just died. Uh, his family line is being now carried on through Ishmael and through Isaac. And uh, 
Ishmael, if you remember, is the one who's born of their own impatience with God through the maidservant Hagar. And Isaac is the one who God chose to continue the blessing of Abraham to the nations of the earth. That Isaac would be the one who would carry forward this promise that God had given to Abraham and that he would bring the blessing of God to the nations of the earth. So God was going to bless him in order to be a blessing. But you had two very distinct stories, two distinct family lines in Ishmael and Isaac that led, have led actually to centuries of conflict. Centuries. That continue actually to this very day as we look at the sweep of history and the starting point way back there. And now in this story in Genesis 26, we see that Isaac himself has two twin sons, Esau and Jacob, who were fighting even before they got out of their mother's womb. Esau, the older, uh, eventually he, he sells his birthright to Jacob, the younger, for a bowl of stew, if you remember that story. Uh, Jacob, later on, uh, if you keep reading, he deceives his father Isaac and steals the blessing of the older son Esau from, from his brother Esau. And so what strikes me about these two is that conflict is just kind of woven through their story. It almost seems like they take two steps forward and two steps back. Two steps forward and three steps back. Two steps forward, one step back. Like It's just like constant story and interaction of, of conflict. But then here in chapter 26... We see that because of drought, Isaac moves his family and livestock to the region of Gerar, this Philistine territory that his father Abraham had also lived in many years earlier because of another drought. And through that drought, God had brought Abraham to this region of the world as well, which is why he had dug wells many, many years earlier. And now God tells Isaac to live here in this region as a foreigner in the land of the Philistines and that he will be that God will be with Isaac and also bless him as he did his father Abraham. And that he will continue this line of blessing, the blessing of God. And so Isaac stayed in Gerar and he also interestingly deceived and lied to the Philistine leaders about who his wife was, just like his father Abraham had done. I find that interesting. But God continues to protect and to bless him. And then we come to our text in Genesis 26, verse 12. And let me just uh, read uh, these verses from 12 to 25. It says, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt, and there were wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. And he reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. Isaac's servants also dug in Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said. And they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it gives the, the, the definitions of these names. So Essek means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it, so Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. 
For he said, at last, the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. And from there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father, Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants, and, I will become, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. And he set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug another well. So I said at the beginning that I needed to tell you a story and a disclaimer. I told you the, I told you the story, but now here's the disclaimer about this passage. To me, when I read this text, and even in these, these last days, uh, thinking about this morning and reflecting again on this text that has been so impactful for me in these last number of months, the disclaimer is that this text actually feels like a sacred treasure to me. It feels like a sacred treasure of which I understand so little. It feels like something that God has just given me a little window into, that I see only this much. And I feel like there is so much more that God wants to teach me and show me about this and possibly us to understand that, that I need to mine for it, to just sit in it, to see it better and, and to understand what God is doing and what the application is for whether it's for me or, or for us. And so my disclaimer is, is that I if, definitely do not have this figured out. I do not have a whole bunch of application points for you because um, it doesn't, in my mind, kind of convey neat, tight application points, and I'm not sure that that's necessarily so helpful either. And I'm still figuring a lot of these things out. But it, So when we think of application, even anytime we come to the Old Testament, we have to understand that the Old Testament texts show us the character of God and the story of God, first and foremost. They, they show God's work in history, and they point us to the living God. And so I think every time we come to Old Testament texts, we're cautioned not to jump too quickly to moral applications from the stories as they unfold, since so many of the characters falter greatly. And they are not the point. God is the point. But even in their faltering, God is still at work in their lives, and His purposes will still be accomplished, and sometimes despite the players in the story. And as I reflect on this story, and I see Isaac and all those around him, the other characters in the story, these are faltering characters. Isaac was anything but a perfect human being. So are Jacob and Esau. They struggle. And yet God uses them all the same. And I find great encouragement in that. But, but what do we make about these wells? And it's a question I will continue to ask myself in this. What do we make about the wells in this story? Isaac has reopened old wells that have been filled in by the enemy. Wells that Abraham dug earlier and then had been filled in. And he reopens them and he restores their names. I like that. And I wonder, what, what's that about God? That he restores the names that his father had given these wells. I also love that these wells are named honestly. They're named like argument and dispute and hostility. And it's like really honest names that are given. And then there's the well that grabs my attention more than any, any others, and it's the well called Rehoboth, which means open space. And that's the place and the well that I just find myself camping on and praying into and saying, Lord, what, what is that open space? Where is that well of open space? What does that look like? What does that mean? And as you read this text, it represented a time of multiplication and the blessing of God, a time of freedom and peace. 
a time of God's favor and presence. So I was thinking about some different application points and reflecting on, okay, so God, what, when I think about my role in the Canadian conference and with the executive board and that piece, that conference that we hosted here last week, which was so remarkable in so many ways, um, this metaphor of wells of open space that you led me to, what does that mean? Even as we came through the gathering last week that was hosted right here in this, in this room, it was remarkable the season of peace that we find ourselves in as a Canadian conference. Not perfect peace, it's still got its challenges, but after a year of considerable conflict and confusion, it feels like open space. Conflict between the board and staff, the resignation of the moderator, the release of the executive director, complete restructuring within the conference, a reduction in the budget of 60% in one year. We had experienced way too much Essek and Sitna over the course of the past years. But now it feels like we're in a different season. It was quite remarkable at the end of gathering last weekend, uh, there was a time of repentance and reconciliation and renewal. And that was a theme that kind of wove itself through that God had in front of us throughout the whole time. So much so that we had the former executive director standing right here on the platform praying for and part of the commissioning for the new national director. Remarkable. Open space. When I think of our church, and I think of us as Forest Grove Community Church in multiple locations, and I I think of all the things that God's been doing in our midst, and I praise God for that. As we've, even here at Attridge, we've gone to two services, and we've slowly begun the north site, and it's uh, continuing to grow and to develop in a real slow way, and we look forward to this fall with Nathan coming, and and changes there. We've, we've had staff changes as well and restructuring uh, within our staff. And through the course of this year, and, and especially with me being away a lot and distracted with other things, we've had some of our own Essek and Sitna and challenges. But in the midst of that too, God is doing remarkable things in our church and in our staff. And I am so thankful that, for that. It feels like a season of open space. It feels different. And I'm thankful. And so my question for you is just what about you personally? What might be the applications that God is wanting to put in front of you from this text? Without pushing too hard on the metaphors, but where is it that you are longing for and looking for a well of open space? What's your conflict? What's your challenge? Where are you needing God to refresh and renew your soul? You know, as you think about that phrase open space, it's not about having room. It's not about having land or having kind of physical space to move. If, if that were the case, then Canada would actually have been written right into this text. Um, if you've done any study of that, and I always find this so fascinating, you look at, at population dent- density, and there are certain provinces in China that have a population density of, of six to 800 people per square kilometer. Now, that's not including a place like Hong, a city like Hong Kong. You go there, and it's 8,000 people per square kilometer. Um, but if you look at the entire country of Bangladesh, I always find this fascinating because my brother and my, and my sister-in-law lived there for so many years. The entire country of Bangladesh has a population density of 1,100 people per square kilometer. And every square kilometer, 1,100 people throughout the entire country. You know how many it is in Canada? Three. Three. Where are you? 
So if it's just about physical space, Canada is the place of open space. But I don't think this text is about that. I think it's about the living water that this well contains. A well of open space is a place of freedom and possibility created by Jesus through His Holy Spirit. I think a a place of open space is where the kingdom of God breaks in and we get just a glimpse. We don't see all of this. We just see this. And we see almost through a knothole in the fence, that imagery, and we see just a bit of the kingdom that God is doing in our lives and around us. When I was thinking about this text again in light of the New Testament, it drew me right away again to another story about a well that many of you would know uh, and be quite familiar with, and it's in John chapter 4 of the woman at the well. And I encourage you to turn there. We don't have a lot of time to unpack this story, and I As much as I would like to assume that you all know the story, I know that many of you don't, but let me just share a few things about this story, and for some of you who are quite familiar, it is more review. But here's this place where Jesus is walking through Samaria, and he stops by a well, because again, a well was a place for refreshing, for renewal, for rest. It was a place where communities gathered, and there's a Samaritan woman who's also now at this well. And she asks him some things. She uh, talks to him. And Jesus asks her, actually, for a drink, which was quite a remarkable thing. First of all, that Jesus would be talking to a woman. And secondly, that he was talking to a Samaritan. And so they have this interaction and this dialogue. And she's kind of wondering about the kind of water that he's looking for. And, And Jesus says to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. All you have to do is ask. That's what Jesus is saying. And as you go through that interaction that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman, you get the sense that he is redigging some old wells in her life. The Samaritan people were, Samaria was actually the capital of the northern kingdom. When the kingdoms were divided from north and south, and Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. If you trace the Samaritan people all the way back to their origins, they were part of the tribes of Joseph, the people of Israel. But through the course of centuries, they became far removed from God, and they actually became known as Gentile people, not even as Jewish people anymore. Even though they had this Hebrew heritage, this Jewish heritage within them. And so it's almost like as Jesus interacts with her and they start talking about what true worship is and she's kind of challenging him and kind of avoiding the issues, but it's almost like he's just kind of redigging the wells and talking about what it means to have faith in the living God. And he's reminding her of her identity. He's, it's like he's renaming the wells that have been there from way back there. These wells that have been filled in in this woman's life through her sexual exploits, and he talks about her husband, she says, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, no, that's true. You've been with many, and the one that you're with now isn't your husband. And so Jesus confronts the sin in her life and says, you need to deal with that. And as you do that, there's freedom. And it helps to restore your identity. Helps to restore and rename you as a child of the King. 
So the woman at the well story is a beautiful picture of God redigging old wells, I think. Maybe digging some new ones. Renaming some things for this woman who had forgotten who she was and whose she was. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 13 and 14, he says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. If you continue on in John's gospel in chapter 7, you see where Jesus promises living water and he's pointing to himself. And he uses the metaphor of living water for himself and he says this, it says, on the last day at the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So I don't know all the things that God is speaking to you about this morning. I don't have a bunch of application points for you. I'm still figuring this one out myself. But for me, this has been a passage that I go, God, you're speaking here. You are saying something. I need to pay attention. Maybe we need to pay attention about these wells of open space that God is inviting us to. About naming some of the wells of of sitna, of hostility, and confrontation and conflict that are also part of our experience in our past. Wells represent water, life, community gathering places. And for me, I I have sensed that God is inviting us to a new season, both for the Canadian conference that we're a part of and also for us as a church. A new season of life in Christ, the one who gives living water where we will never thirst again. My prayer is is that this will also be for you personally. In whatever way that God is speaking to you this morning and will continue to speak to you about this text. But here's the interesting thing about if we gather around a well. Is we can gather around the well and stand there and stand together, but actually never go to the well to drink. I think Jesus is inviting us to drink deeply from the well that he provides. And I pray that this summer that you would experience much in terms of drinking from the well of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are living water that renews us that your spirit is within us and bubbles up inside of us. God, I pray that for each one here. I pray a blessing on each one here that we would experience new wells of living water. God, where there is drought and dryness, I pray that you would bring new life. And God, just like you did for me last January where you surprised me with something remarkable of showing me how you were truly and clearly speaking to me, I pray that for people here that they would experience that this summer in some way. God, that you would reveal yourselves, that we would have open hands and open hearts to be spoken to by your Holy Spirit in new ways. And God, that you would refresh us, that you would replenish us, that you would restore us, that you would renew us. Lord Jesus, help us not to just gather around the well and look at it. 
but actually help us to draw down deep into that well, into the living water that you provide, that you are. And help us to see and experience your love. So Lord, I pray that. Continue to teach me, continue to teach us what you're wanting to say from this text and also from others that you bring to our minds and our hearts this summer. And refresh us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.